Welcome to another TMG interview, everyone. My name is Paul Preston, talking to an actor who's been in the biz since he was a teenager, appearing in all manner of 80s movies that you love. And not slowing down, working on every kind of movie and TV show in the last 20 years, defying getting locked into a genre. His latest appearance is in the new romantic comedy, Queen Bees. It's Courtney Keynes. Hey, hey, how are you today? Courtney, damn decent. Thank you for uh, showing up. I always like the person who is joining me to tell me about the film that is one of their latest things that they're here to, uh, to go deep on or to plug or what have you. So uh, tell me about Queen Bees. Okay, so I only have a cameo in it, but it's kind of a pivotal cameo. It made the trailer, which was great. But it's it's essentially about a woman who uh, is a very independent, who's going to go into old old folks' home only for a for a month, where they redecorate her house and her house catches on fire, and she ends up having to live there, and realizes that the uh, that environment is like going back to high school, you know, cliques and all this stuff. And you know, long short of it, she ends up finding love and. But it, but it really brings up the subject of, you know, people growing old and how they how they the transitions they have to go through. Losing a house would be a terrible thing, I think, for any old old person. You know, um, my character, I'm just a guy who steals their her Ellen Bernstein's purse. And then they all come out and get me and take care of me. And it's sort of their bonding first bonding moment of you know standing up against somebody. So, yeah, it really is. I mean, you came on the scene playing, a, you know, a, a jerk and children of the corn. You've. You've, if a killer's been, a jerk, then I'm a jerk, my friend. You've been a exactly. <laughs> he I kills a dog, a right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and played various jerks since then. So really, this what happens to you in the parking lot in Queen Bees is the culmination of 30 years of of people wanting this to happen to you. <laughs> I see. I see. Yes. All the people who wanted me to get kicked in the nads. Yeah, I have friends going, I'm running that movie just to see Larry Devine kick you in the nads. I'm like, wow, is that, that, that how you feel about me? I, I didn't know. <laughs> I'll make it the little gift that's just, that's all it is. I put up a post on Facebook, just a picture where it looks like she's about to hit me in, in, in the nads. And I just wrote down another day at the office, you know. <laughs> Now, yeah, it is a brief appearance here, but it is a thing that you can still go catch in theaters. And I watched it on VOD as well. So it's out there, YouTube, Voodoo, Amazon, you name it. Yeah, for, and, me, for a chance for me to get to work with Ellen Bernstein, Anne Margaret, Jane Curtin, Loretta Devine, I wasn't going to miss that. They're all they're all icons in their own right, you know? Yeah. And did you get to see James Conn? Because he also fe is featured. I didn't. I didn't. Nah. I have met him once before, but no, I didn't have anything with him or Christopher uh, Christopher Lloyd. But uh, yeah, I just got to work with the the ladies, the queen bees themselves. I knew Conn wasn't in your scene, but I thought, oh, man, you got the got one of the stars of The Godfather. You got one of the stars of The oh, Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a guy my age, at least, it's like these are. And, uh, and uh, uh, Brian's song. One of the most tear-jerking yeah. movie of the weeks on television of all time. I remember I was a kid crying seeing that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you met James Conn, did you just start crying or no? You... No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. He was, um, he was eating with Robert Duvall. I, I disturbed their, their food to say hello. And they were, I'd worked with Robert Duvall in Colors, and he's one of my favorite actors of all time. It was, a, it was a little gathering, but I disturbed them from eating, and they were very polite. They were very polite. Gentlemen. Now, is this a kind of role that is just – a blast because it's come in, get a few laughs and you're on your way. Right. Like the thing is when you do something that small, you don't even know if it's going to make the movie, much less make the trailer. So I'm very happy that it, it, it's uh, it turned out to be such a good thing, you know, and, and, and is even led to us having a conversation. So it's turned out to be a blessing. Uh, I got a job because uh, 
Michael Lembeck, the director. I took I took a comedy class that he does with his daughter, his sister Helene Lembeck, uh, uh, that their father taught for a number of years. Um, uh, and uh, Harvey. Yes, correct. Yeah. It's called the Harvey yeah. Lembeck Comedy Workshop, and tons of incredible people have come through there, like Robin Williams and John Larroquette. And so it was it was it was a really good experience. And then when I heard he was doing the movie. I said, "Hey, you got anything?" And he's he said, well, there's this thing you might be right for. And when I got here that I could work with all those actresses, I was like, absolutely. Let's do this. So it turned out to be a good thing. Yeah, I was going to say with a career as prolific as yours and a career prolific as Michael's, I was wondering if your paths had crossed, but you hadn't worked together before. Because if you don't know, Michael Lembeck directed a ton of episodes of Friends and Mad About You and Everybody Loves Raymond. He's a classic TV director and, and films like Tooth Fairy. Yeah. Yes, he's done a lot. He, he started out as an actor. And then he worked his way into being a director and he's had a, yeah, he's had a prolific career. And he, yeah. when it comes to comedy, that guy knows his shite, you know? <laughs> now I mentioned, you know, these legends and you, you know, you, and you had mentioned another one, Jane Curtin. Do you, I mean, do you fawn at all or do you just kind of go, you play it cool? I mean, you've been, it's, I mean, obviously someone could see you now as they probably would at comic cons and things and have to play it cool. You're like, this is the guy from children of the corn. He's been in so many great movies, but then you, do you then have to like hold back from, I got to just take it easy. Cause this is Jane Curtin. One of the yeah, SML prime time, yeah, not ready for prime time legends. You know? When you meet people that you, you know, that you admire, it's, it's even as, as myself, it's yeah, it's surreal, you know? And so I got introduced to all the actors from Michael, which was very nice as an introduction. And then at the end of it, Jane Curtin was like, I've seen you and everything. And that was just, I was like, wow, Jane Curtin's telling me she's seen me and everything. Right. It's like, it was such a, great icebreaker you know it made me feel so good that she's saying yeah i know who you are because sometimes big people act like they don't know who you are because they're too they think they're too big and that just shows you with her she's the exact opposite she was super down to earth uh got to spend you know a, a bit of time sitting and talking with her and it was that was that was one of the highlights of the day for sure that's good to hear that's the kind of story you want to hear you know yeah and uh and the last thing because it wasn't a, a you know a, a massive part mm -hmm. like you said in the film but again there's a stunt with an 80 plus year old woman <laughs> so how do you make sure okay now pull your knee a bit or how do you just make sure yeah, just, just whack make the sure one? you hit me in the thigh please <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> i want to work uh, again wasn't loretta devine's first rodeo either you know and uh, <laughs> she got close once i think early in the beginning i was like hey, to the thigh <laughs> that was that, and the big thing was just making sure I hit the hit the Fernie pad on the or not the Fernie pad, but the little thin pad they have for you to fall on. As long as you know you hit that on the cement, you're okay. <laughs> now uh, I had mentioned at the top, of course, the uh, Queen Bees. It's out there now uh, to check out. But since the '80s, Courtney's appeared in all manner of stuff. Uh, Children of the Corn, Secret Admirer with C. Oh. Thomas Howell. That's one. Secret Admirer, find. yeah. That was uh, an that, experience. That was an experience. That, oh that yeah. Was the, that was the first film where I learned the hard lesson that if it's not on in the script, don't listen to what they tell you. Because I'd been rolling pretty good at that point, and uh, I kind of got I you know it was kind of not that big a role, and they the director sold me on that he was going to expand my character, and then when I got there, it didn't happen, and I started pumping when I asked him, he said, "Oh yeah, I just said that to get you on this movie." Now that guy went on to be a huge, huge producer. I should give me he got should have given me a job right and <laughs> at least get was give me a bigger job once since he kind of fooled me but that was i learned that hard lesson that if it's not on the paper it's not probably going to be they're, they're saying it but they don't they don't mean it 
Mm. <laughs> uh, and well, Back to the Future, Can't Buy Me Love. We mentioned yeah. colors, the Burbs, yeah. Memphis Belle. So I want to give you a blanket question about all of that. So you start coming in as a, as a teenager in Children of the Corn. Who was there for you or to help you make sure that you transition into the competent, successful work? I mean, you have 130-some credits. That's like three projects a year if you average it out. Right. Uh, so you've become a competent, successful actor. They don't all, you know, they don't all when they start young. You know, people veer into right. all manner of nonsense. How did you keep the stay on target and become a successful adult actor? Two things. They're, they're kind of tied together. But um, so I had a mentor guy named Virgil Fry, who was my acting coach. And he also uh, uh, then also became my manager for a number of years. So he taught me the craft, you know, and broke me into the business. Now, in that class, a lot of young actors broke out pretty quick. Like he was a very good teacher. Then a year, people would start working. Well, that didn't happen for me. That took me, took me five years in that class. And uh, so it was a blessing in disguise because I learned a really – work at my craft and learn to appreciate it as a craft. Whereas what happened with most, a lot of these actors is they started working and they stopped studying. Now, once I started working, I didn't stop studying. I studied with him for another five years. So I was in his workshop for 10 years. And then the rest of my life, I've either been in a workshop or teaching one. So that, that to me is the, the biggest key to the, long, to the longevity. And what everybody kept saying was, you say it's still confidence. He instilled a lot of confidence in me. And he kept saying like, look, when you turn 18, you're going to blow up. And because back then the emancipation laws where you had to be 18 to work a full eight hour day, they've since changed that. But back then that was the way it was. So they were always looking for actors who were 18, who looked younger, which I was. So it was perfect timing that I had five years of professional workshop training, was 18, looked 15 and teen cinema was blowing up in the eighties. So it was a combination of all of those things. And like I said, I didn't stop. And the only times that I ever did take my eye off the ball is when my career would falter. And that happened really right after Memphis Bell. I thought I'd arrived. My head got a little big and I thought I'd arrived. And I started a band. I started a production company. I started doing some other things. And I was getting really good opportunities for auditions and things. And I wasn't doing my work. And really, I blew probably the highest peak of my career by not being prepared. And um, then shortly thereafter, I, I got married and had a kid. And like, you know, woke up that I had to like take care of business again. And that's when I started taking my acting seriously again and went back to work. And that's what you see in the 90s. I have this whole guest star TV run because that was, you know, that was to pay the bills. You know, that was bread and butter. And though I got some wonderful roles, don't get me wrong. I got some of the best roles I've ever gotten or guest stars I've done on television. Some of the most challenging roles I've ever done. But uh, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the, What's kept me grounded, what's kept me everything is the work itself. The rest is all smoke and mirrors and BS, man. But the work, doesn't matter if I'm doing a $40 million film or a $40,000 film, the work when the camera rolls is the same. You know, my job is the same. And if I do my job well, you know, people people are moved, you know, and that's, that's my job. Yeah, Glenn Close called it, uh, I believe, they asked her why she does what she does. And she says she changes people's molecules. Wow. She changes their makeup. Like you come into the her performance, stage, film, whatever, and you leave different. Can it be micro, you know, microscopic or massive? Whatever it is, because you did what you did as an actor, you changed their molecules. So It's the power so of cinema. 
It's the yeah. power of cinema. I don't take total credit. It's the power of cinema. But it's funny. I one of the questions I've been getting asked in all my interviews is who on the list? Who do I want to work with? And that's my answer, Glenn Close. So oh, yeah. Oh, well, there you I go. I think she's a beast. I think she is a beast. And and I also, beyond being a beast of an actress, which you know, clearly she is, I hear from those who have worked for, with her that I, that I do know that she's actually a very generous actor. So on top of that, that's like even makes the, the pot sweeter. Like, I know she's great, but if she's great and she's good to work with, hmm. wow. Like, I want, I want that. Like, let's... Let's get it on. Let's see what. Yeah. Let's see what's what. You know. Yeah, she's good. Sure be a great experience. So she's on. Yeah, she's. That's funny that you brought her up. Hmm. Well, she's good in Hillbilly Elegy, but you go back even another year to The Wife. If you saw that film with her and Jonathan Price, she's tremendous in that. And I, I, I auditioned for Hill, Hillbilly Elegy, and I wanted on because of her, and I, did, I didn't get it. A friend, a friend yeah. of mine did. But uh, I was like, damn it, that was <laughs> so close, so close to Clint Close. <laughs> Yeah, uh, man. well, she's, I mean, you'll have more opportunities because she ain't quitting anytime Yeah, that's soon. true. That's true. So hopefully yeah. uh, that, that comes to pass. And then I just heard an interview with James Corden recently, and he talked about writing a big show in London to kind of put him on the map. And yeah, it was musical then. Theater. He comes from a complete musical theater background. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, well, you got that Tony before he ever did anything else right. after a one-man show. But he, um, yeah, he said, and that was, he kind of talked about the same time you got it. Like you have the fame and then comes a point where you're like, I could either collapse into, you know, personal breakdown or obscurity because I take the work for granted or, or you turn it into, then he said he, he made that turn and he realized he was being a jerk. A couple friends told him, you know, you're being a jerk, oh, <laughs> which good, uh, good. didn't hurt good. either. Those so, are, but he those, listened, you know, those are good friends. Those are yeah. good friends. Uh, yeah. You know, going back to when I said, I sort of took my eye off the ball after Memphis Bell, it was also a combination of burnout. Um, I had, I hit a point toward, you know, after like I was four or five, six years of just working straight. It was sort of this point where I was just, I was working nonstop and I was bouncing back and forth, like having to do the ADR on like, you know, can't buy me love, which my octave of my voice is here, but I'm now doing colors. My octave of my voice is down here and I'm trying to find that. I was bouncing back and forth, back and forth, doing two, three projects at once. And it was the burbs really where that character was, kind of lost you know it's kind of a fish out of water and i was taking myself to that place you know as a method actor and i kind of got lost you know and i it got to the point as a method actor i changed my walk and my talk and my rhythm and my cadence the scary moment was where i could not remember how i walked <laughs> that was a very i have to say as a young actor you know that was a very scary moment and when i turned to sort of my team or people around me and I said, I think I'm working too much. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting lost here. Nobody cared. I mean, that's just the god awful truth. They were just like, oh, poor Courtney, he's working too much. Like literally, that's the response I got. Like nobody. So there was really nobody there to explain what I've learned later. Is a, a way to explain it is they call it flood. It can be in a business or what they call it the tipping point, right? Like you're in this, you work for something, and all of a sudden it takes off. And when it takes off you're in that flood. You're, you're not controlling it. It's controlling you, you know, and you're on, you're on the ride and it's real easy to get lost. And that's how people do get lost, how they get caught up in drugs or whatever they do. Right. It's like, it becomes too much and they don't know how to handle it. And how I handled it is I just stepped back for a while. That's how I handled it. I just, I said, I got to step back and I needed to like, so I had other things I wanted to try. The music started my first band and that was a great experience. And, started production companies, started doing music videos. And that was also interesting. And I don't regret any of it, 
but I may have hurt my I may have hurt my career, but at the same time, I I I, I retained my soul. You know, I kept my sanity, and I learned how to start to to know when I needed to take breaks and when I needed to go like on a road trip or get out of LA. LA is not a, a LA is not a giving place. It, 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 it sort of takes, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you're always having to like create results, 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 no process. So it's like, you got to get away from LA and get on the road or go camping or, you know, go to Europe or so just to get away from that all and get new stimuli, you know, and grow. So you have something new to contribute. You know, the, I don't know how I'm riffing on this, but you know, the perfect band that's an example is ZZ Top. You know, they've had an amazing 50 freaking year career, but they will stop. You know, they'll do a, a couple records, they'll do a tour, and then they stop and they all go their separate ways and they learn and do other things and play on their own bands and whatever. And then they get back together when they feel like it and then they do it again. And I think that's the difference between them and so many bands that the their managers and their record labels run them into the freaking ground and then they implode. You know, they have a five-year run, a 10-year run, and then boom, you know, they, 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 they're drugged up, they're sexed up, they're out of their minds, not in reality, they've been catered to, they've lost it. They've lost any real connection to what got them there in the first place. Um, Watered so, down, yeah, overexposed. I, I, yeah, those, But those I think it's good. overworked as much as yeah. overexposed. I think it's overworked. Um, I think they're doing a record, they're doing a tour for like a year, and then they have to go right where they're doing that. They're expected to kick out another record and then go on tour again. You'll burn out. You know, any human being will burn out. And it's the same thing with an actor. They get too busy. They can, they can, they can overwork. I really believe that. And I've learned how to pace myself and, and, uh, and, you know, deal with it and know when I'm getting too off kilter, you know, and when I need a break. Um, but I learned that lesson. I learned a lesson the hard way, but I don't, I don't regret stepping back because I'm telling you for a minute there, it was, it, I felt lost. It was a scary feeling. It was a scary, feeling. you don't know your own, your own walk. I mean, that's, that's weird, man. <laughs> that's weird. Well, that brings up two things I have to say because I, have, I tell anyone who, who will listen the time I saw ZZ top, cause it's the way to see ZZ top at a Harley biker rally with the tubes and the Foo Fighters. That's a fantastic lineup, man. Right? And my buddy Justin and I, we got there early, and we we're like, is that really the stage? Because all the bikers are, like, drinking. They're in, like, a, a huge tented area where they're, like, selling biker stuff. It's, like, a big – and, uh, that, and we're is, like, that is great stuff right there. Can we really walk it. right to the front of the stage? Like, nobody – and we stood right in the front of the stage waiting for the bands. We're, we're going to hang here. So, yeah, oh, amazing show. that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gibbons is an amazing guitar player. I had the – I had the – uh I got to meet him once and that was set up by, so uh, Gibbons does his own, has his own band too. And he's not doing the ZZ top thing, right. That, you know, that he enjoys doing a uh, friend of mine, a guy named Martin Gigi is his, uh, is his, is his band. Uh, you know what they call it. He's the keyboard player in the band, but the guy who's head of the band. There's a name for that. The band, uh, not band leader, uh, band yeah, leader. Like Thank that. you. Band sure. leader. He's the band leader of his band. And, uh, yeah. On a, on a music note, um, that guy and I, we met in this entertainment basketball league. That's a whole story. Somebody should do a, mo- somebody should do a documentary <laughs> about that. Talk about egos and stuff. Crazy. But um, he and I met on that and we did, he found, I found out he's a musician and he helped me with a, a record. And then we ended up making a movie called uh, Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness. And it's a rock and roll road movie with an anti-technology bent, which he took from me because I'm, I'm a little anti-technology, you know, like I, I, you know, I suspect these phones are listening to me, and I'm pretty sure they are, because then things pop up on my YouTube page. Right Absolutely. After we talk about 
right? So, um, you know, so I'm always like, and I, when people are putting the phones to their heads early on, and I'm like, that, that's got to be like radiation. That can't be good for you. It's <laughs> like, I've, I've always questioned all this stuff. But but this band we put together, uh, Martin's all in it and directed it and co-wrote it. He plays keyboards. The, the band's live, and I sing live. No punch-ins, no nothing in this movie. And it's a pretty fun, crazy little road rock and roll road movie. So if looking for something you haven't seen that I'm in that's pretty zany, uh, it, it's it's worth the rental. I say if you watch it, you know, if you smoke out, smoke out. If you drink, have a few beers, and it'll be a fun ride. <laughs> Give me the title again. Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness. All right. And my character's dress looks like something between Evil Knievel and Elvis. So that's right there is worth your price of admission right there. Well, listen, anybody, it's a challenge to like be a completist about everything you've done in your career. So if you... <laughs> that's true. But but between through Martin, I got to meet Billy Gibbons and that was a, and he was a super nice guy. And that was a great oh, yeah. experience. I'm I sure. wish, yeah, if I ever had the chance to actually, I'd probably be intimidated as hell, but if I ever had the chance to sit down and play some guitar with him, I'd, I'd probably lose my mind, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the other thing you're, you're tasty, you're... so tasty. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned that, that, that reminded me of something is that's how I spent the pandemic outdoors. You know, you talk about getting out, yes. getting out of LA, I getting did, out, I mean, I did the same eight national parks, wow. uh, every manner of beach forest preserve, you know, wow. a botanical garden you could find. Everything was closed except for that stuff. So I went out and, and did all that. It was great. And so Brilliant. I recommend that to anybody out there. Although I, I hear now they're, they're Disneyland-like lines at Yosemite. So. Uh, of course. Everybody's going nuts now to whatever yeah. it is they're into. It's like a backlog now, whether it be concerts yeah. or going to, you know, going to museums. Everybody's just <laughs> right now because they've all been cooped up for a year. Yeah. Um, so a couple more touches on your uh, early career, because I mean, sure. Back to the Future. This is uh, you pushed George McFly out of the way for that one dance with Lorraine, and really, you're the last attempt of fate to keep those two apart. That of Correct. course George then intercepts and Correct. makes with the uh, and keeps the McFly lineage intact. Um, so it, it, did you know you're in one of the most iconic films of all time? Even just recently, the, the, if you've seen the Marvel series Loki, it's all about like crazy time timelines time time yeah they're they're photoshopping marty mcfly into shots of <laughs> you know because it's so it's just beyond iconic at this point it's star wars iconic did you know when you were no involved? no i mean we knew you know spielberg was involved so that gave us hope right but he wasn't directing he was producing right. and and we didn't really know robert zemeckis was going to go on to be robert zemeckis either right the used so, cars guy that guy you know yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> right so we didn't we knew that it had a budget and we knew that it had some some juice behind it but did we any of us know it was going to go on to be uh the top trilogy of all time no no how could we so uh and i, yeah, I had several several friends in there like jj cohen is somebody i worked with in secret admirer and we became friends um uh, Billy Zane and I have obviously worked together and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, Casey Shamasco and I've done like three projects together. So we all kind of came up the same time and that ended up obviously being a great, <laughs> a great cash cow for those guys. Cause the residuals, you know, the better a movie does, the better residual income you get from the screenings and rentals and all that. So it's been a, <laughs> it's, and it was a blessing for me too. I was only supposed to work three days, but I was there before, uh, Eric Stoltz got let go. So when they did the reshoots, I got paid for that whole time. Oh, nice! Yeah, oh, so you were there to see that whole change in, uh, in yeah. The lead. 
Yeah. yeah so I was I was very lucky. Crispin and I had already worked together before on the first first thing I'd ever done, which was an AFI film that I always forget the name of it, but the, the the whole there's been three versions of it made. One with Sean Penn, one with him, and with somebody else called the Beaver Trilogy. It's like this cult thing. Hmm. Um, that was the first first thing I ever did. And uh, uh, Crispin Glover was dressed like Olivia Newton John in that black outfit from Greece. It was the, it'll forever be imprinted in my mind. <laughs> Can it be imprinted on other people's minds now? I mean, is that findable? The Beaver it, Trilogy. Yeah, you yeah, can find it's it. out there. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and you can That's... talk to the director too. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, who uh, Dusty Sorg, who is an actor who he played my brother in Criminal Minds, which is a role I'm really proud of. I did uh, played a really complex character. Uh, uh, he just he just bought it, so I know it's still available. There's even a documentary about the fact that the three movies were made and all these actors were in it. So, so there's a whole thing about this called the Beaver Trilogy. Yeah, so uh, let's just roll off a few of those. Criminal Minds, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Bones, CSI, My Name is Earl. I mean, these are some of the biggest TV shows of the last 20 years that you popped up in. Not Seinfeld, to mention, not too shabby. Oh, yeah, you're an episode. Which Seinfeld episode? Really? The Smelly Car episode. It's it's actually ranked up there in one of the one of the best, which, you know, I don't know. But uh, my, I'm, an, I'm the subplot, you know, the returning of the Rochelle Rochelle video. You know, does a lot of pay. Jason does a lot of pay because he didn't rewind it. And then he gets some getting stolen in the smelly car because the windows are down. It's pretty, pretty funny stuff. Well, there you go. See, and then at the same time, you're popping up in Sweet Home Alabama, Faster, The Quiet Ones, uh, Halloween, uh, Halloween 07. That's the zombie, right? Halloween. Yes. Yeah. You're, that's the first. Yeah. That's the first uh, Rob Zombie one. Yeah. You're uncredited there. So what went on with how uh, you get What low? happened was the, uh, the, so the scene I'm in uh, is, uh, well, the couple scenes, the scene I'm in is a, a, a rape scene of a girl in the ward. And that's how, that's how homie gets out. Right. And he, uh, uh, and it's nasty. And uh, so it was so nasty that, um, you know, when, when you're filming, everybody hovers around the, you know, the, the screen to watch the shooting. Right. Nobody, nobody it was just a zombie. And he has to go going, this is very disturbing. This is very disturbing. Wow, you disturbed Rob Zombie. Yeah, think about that for a minute, right? <laughs> so that's that's yeah, that's that's saying something, isn't it? So when they did the testing, shocker, the women said they didn't like the rape scene. Shocker. Right? <laughs> it's like what what was gonna like the rape scene? So they decided to take that scene out and create uh, a different escape where he used some of his his uh you know uh, well known actors he's used before. Uh some great horror actors and uh but if you get the director's cut i am in fact in that in that version because rob wanted to keep it okay. it was the studio that made him change it so it's in the director's cut if you want to see it and uh that's why it got that's why it, i don't get the credit or i get the uncredited credit but you know i sign i sign posters and stuff constantly at conventions because all of them know i'm in it you know well, that makes total sense. You yeah. disturbed Rob Zombie, so then he wanted to keep it. That makes of sense. Course, that, yeah, that of course, he sense. wanted to keep it. He loved <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, the studios, like I said, the when they did the testing, the it, it, it out of all the violence and everything in the movie, apparently that's what the women you know found offensive. So I understand, but I'm just like, really, you had to go spend money on a test to find out women don't like rape scenes. <laughs> I mean, that's just stupid to me. <laughs> 
And, and what do you make of horror? Because again, in Children of the Corn, you slashed uh, America's sweetheart, uh, Linda Hamilton's face. And then yes. uh, recently in 2015, you're in the Funhouse Massacre. Renee and Ben are friends. I know those guys. And Yeah, I've, uh, I've worked for those guys. I've worked, with, I've worked for uh, them twice. I did Funhouse Massacre and um, Camp Colebrook. Funhouse Massacre was creepy. So do you, I mean, good, do, you, yeah. do you like horror? Is it your thing? It's not, I'm, I would not go say I'm a horror lover. I don't like violence, you know, though, of course, in movies, I mean, violence is <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I've shot more. I'm not, I don't like guns either, but I've shot, you name a gun, I've shot it, you know, <laughs> including a 60 caliber in Memphis Bell. You name it, I've shot it, you know, but, um, what I like is a good story. So I don't care if it's a horror or drama or a comedy. I just like a good story. That's what I look. And I'm looking for a character with a good arc if I can find it. But that being said, of course, because of Children of the Corn, you know, because of that iconic character, Malachi, uh, you know, everybody from Rob Zombie to these, to these guys, you know, they want, they want horror icons in their movies. So I get offered these jobs and if I'm not doing something else and they're paying right, I'll do it, you know? It's good company, Bill Mosley and Sid Haig, yeah, and all the people. Yeah, that's that, the thing. I think of those guys. Yeah, Bill Mosley, Sid Haig. Yeah, those yeah. are great guys. I do conventions with those. The, the late, great Sid Haig. Yeah, <laughs> talk, talk about a career, man. That guy started out in black and white films. You know, I mean, he, he long career, long yeah. career. Now we did an article on him at my website because that's 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 a that was a passing that should be noted, perhaps more than the mainstream. Thing. Right? Yeah, it wouldn't be in mainstream exactly, but yeah. but within the horror world, that's that's he's significant. And uh, one last question about one of those movies, and I'll get on to my final question. But uh, okay. in, in Faster, could you sense that I mean, you talk about stars? Could you to me go back twenty years and change, and there's nothing more exciting than The Rock grabbing a microphone. And captivating 30,000 people in an arena in the palm of his hand, he has them. I see that occasionally translate to film. Now he's starting to get to where I, you know, I think the Fast and Furious movies are like, okay, this is this is his vein of gold for the smack he can talk, the 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 you know, the muscle he can show off. Uh, but man, back in those days of wrestling, so faster is one of the rocks uh Dwayne Johnson's earlier films. Could you sense he had the star quality to keep this up? Oh, I think by then he was already a big star. I yeah. think uh, he 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 hasn't stopped working since then, certainly. But I actually thought that that movie was a, a a bit of a departure, you know, a drama. He had been doing a lot of like Disney stuff, and you know, but I mean, he was. I mean, he'd already gone. He used to just be the Rock. Now he was Dwayne, you know, Johnson. You know what I mean? He had made that transition. Uh, a couple of stories I'd be happy to tell about that movie, though. Two of them. One is I got to work with Billy Bob Thornton again, and that was great. And I say again. Because I don't even know if this is credited in my, in my on the IMDb. The first thing I think it was the first job he ever did was this TV show called The Judge. It's this really low end, low budget TV show they shot live about. It's sort of like a like a fake Judge Duty, you know. And we play brothers. And uh, the story I always tell is uh, the last day of shooting, his VW Bug broke down, so I gave him a ride back to Hollywood. And on the drive back, he's telling me about how he's writing and he's going to direct because that's the way he's going to break into film. And I'm at the, in the 80s, that was not how that worked, okay? Nobody was doing that. And I was like, I dropped him. I was like, yeah, good luck with that, pal. You know? <laughs> and, you know, look what, he, look what he went on to do as a writer and a director and yeah. as an actor. And he's a fine actor. So it's great to get to, to rework with him. The second funny story is so – in the movie, 
my biggest scene is when we're rousting Dwayne and his brother to tell us where the money is. And then we slit the brother's throat and Dwayne Johnson has to go, no, right? Well, this was the first days of shooting. We did that thing for days, for days. No, no. And if it had been me after the third take, I just would have been like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'll do that and we can be done with this, right? I'm not going to put myself through that pain over and over again. Dwayne Johnson, just a stone cold champ, right? Doesn't complain, doesn't make, just does it, does it, does it, does it, does it to the best of his ability over and over again. And it just set this tone for the movie, right? If this guy's not tripping about anything, you know, what can we do, right? So, but, but, and by this time I get to know him and I can tell you he's just a really cool guy, good down to earth dude for, for the incredible amount of success and fame he has. So they finally turn around and do my scene, my part of the scene, which I have, you know, a bunch of dialogue, even though a lot of it's off camera. We get, I do three takes, director says moving on. So I go, I looked at Dwayne and I go, see, man, that's how you do it. And the whole room, including him, <laughs> just roars. Cause we've been going through this shit for three days, right? And, it, you know, and it, I would have never said anything like that if I didn't know he was a guy who didn't take himself too, too seriously. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's how he, he keeps like some kind of down to earth because he just, he knows. He, you know, he knows he's a hard worker, but he knows he's lucky to be where he is. You know what I mean? It's like a, a combination, you know, he seems I mean, like he hasn't figured out, man. Historically, that is a hard transition to make, you know, rock star to actor is one thing, but wrestler, I mean, Hulk Hogan only went so far by the time he was the lead. It was in sort of sub tier movies where, you know, the rock's going to oh, be in. He's the first one. He's the first one to do it. Yeah. Now, now you got Cena doing it. Cena's following in the footsteps, you know? Yeah. But I mean, Jungle Cruise is certainly a tent pole of Disney's year. They're expecting the hugest things, and he's the lead. So, yeah, he's, he's the guy now. Yeah. yeah, he's he's man, he's a guy. You can't. I mean, he's on TV doing a television show, a series, doing a movie, and then hosting some other show that's on television. I mean, like guys, like I'm like who and still wrestling, still wrestling. Everyone's every showing once up, in a while, at least. right? But yeah. I'm like, how do they even? You know, it's people like, oh, Courtney, you're busy. No, that's busy, man. I don't know how <laughs> that guy juggles a schedule to to do all the stuff he's doing i mean they obviously must be willing to work with his schedule because his schedule is insane i don't know well, how he gets so much done in a year i will say this one thing is and i do love the rock but there is we talked about this on, on the movie guys once a little round table of me and all my comedian friends and i said yeah how does he be on ballers then he's showing up on like uh tv the the what is it the um the lip sync challenge show and then he'll pop up in smackdown and like the do a whole thing then he's got like three movies coming out of this year and my friend bart said yeah well imagine having some team of people taking care of everything else in your life i'm like no that's kind of even that doesn't even, hurt yeah, i'm sure he does but even but he's earned it he's earned it but he didn't like but you know he didn't have like a posse on set or none of that bs so i i gave him credit there but yeah, he definitely has a team coordinating his schedule on every. St I mean, they're like, yeah, got a got a jet waiting for you, pal. As soon as you get off the scene, sure, right. over here, here. I'm sure there's a whole coordinated effort going on. But that yeah. being said, it's still amazing yeah, yeah, how yeah. much content this guy gets done in a year. Much less if you go on his freaking Instagram, there's always something. He's always talking. He's working in the gym. He's talking. You know, it's like it doesn't stop for this dude. You know? Yeah, that is one of my favorite lines in Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart, where. He and Kevin Hart meet for the 20th uh, high school reunion. And Kevin's like, man, I can't. I want to get big like you. How'd you get so big? And he's like, I worked out six hours a day for 20 years. And Kevin Hart's like, 
Yeah, well, I guess. Yeah, I hear he has to take a break. <laughs> I guess he wakes up in the middle of the night, like three or four in the morning, and eats like three cans of tuna just to keep those, you know, the, the carbs coming in and the beef coming to keep that big. I mean, the amount of food this guy has to put away. Just that, I mean, can you imagine, like, that's part of your job in life is to wake up in the middle of the night to eat tuna just so you can, <laughs> you know? Crazy, man. I mean, yeah, you got, I mean, you got to take it off. I mean, his discipline, his self discipline, and all oh, absolutely. that. Absolutely. Incredible. No, his success is the result of the hard work. As absolutely, I mean. man. Uh, there's yeah. no doubt. I mean, he, you could say, you know, there's the hardest working man in show business. He's probably the guy right now. Yeah. Well, let me hit you with every, uh, with a question I ask everybody who I get in here for an interview. And that is, what is your favorite movie of all time? Yeah, now I was warned, thank God, because that's like the weight of that question would 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 collapse me. I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna tell you a story, and then maybe we'll pick one of the three. Sure, and I will but, say everybody cheats, and I don't, I, and I allow it. You know, I got five movies for you, sure, or I've got you know the okay, one I like okay, right good. now. Then, then I'm gonna give so, you the story, and these are gonna be the three movies. There you go. On. So my son, you know, is is a kid. I would let him, you know, go see any movie he wanted to see and you know if it had a fart joke in it he thought it was good you know what i mean like that's disney knows scatophobic humor and the kids will say they loved it right so i saw a lot of garbage and that's all that's cool you know that's that's we spend our time going to movies but i had a trade-off for that the trade-off was he had to watch three as it is like a 10 11 year old kid he had to watch three movies that i wanted him to see the three movies are um on the waterfront so I could show him what are what the, I see. You want to see? You talk about these leading actors now. I'm going to show you the man. Mm. And at the end of that, his response was Brando, <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. You're a fine um, parent. So, the second movie was Manchurian Candidate, the original. Mm. And when he first started seeing that, I mean, I remember when I saw how you're going, what's going on here? But he's a kid, so he's articulating. He's like, this is weird. This is really weird. He's like getting really uncomfortable. And then you see what's happening about them being hypnotized and stuff. Then he goes, this is cool. And he still to this day remembers that movie. And the fight scene with Henry Silva, who I did a movie with Lust in the Dust, with him and uh, Sinatra, he literally remembers the choreography of that verbatim to this if he goes into this we know what fight we're gonna have you know it's like <laughs> so that movie and then the last one was um citizen king and i was like there you go you, you you see those three movies as a kid at least i'll have given you you know what i consider some some cinema history and cinema culture yes and then we can watch all the uh Frozen's or whatever that exactly, exactly. <laughs> you want to see. But I'm gonna I'm gonna show you what I think movie making should look like and the kind of dream projects and roles you know and actors that are out there. That's damn fine parenting. And does on Thank the you. waterfront on the waterfront holds up right? It's a, oh it, man, to me, to me, yeah. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd probably if I like I could only watch one more movie. I mean, the rest of my life, I'd probably pick on the waterfront. Yeah. I think it holds up. I mean. I, I mean, haven't seen it in a while, but I'm damn sure. It's not just not just it's not just Brando. I mean. The, you know, there's, I mean, Lee J. Cobb, man, is one of my favorite actors of that era. I mean, yeah. if I could, you know, I mean, that guy, you know, he's yelling and he's like, ah! I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, 12 Angry Men, same type of thing. I mean, that guy just spews venom, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's he's a beast. I mean, I I, I like, Lee J. Cobb is one of my favorite actors, character actors of that era. So yeah. there's and there's all these old fighters in it and stuff too, all these old beat up dudes and it's great, man. It's great and you know, yeah. great, you know, great director too. I mean, it's just you know, it just goes on and on. That movie's got to be in like the you know whatever the, the top hundred ranked movies of all times. So I'm pretty darn sure that movie's there. Yeah, 
and then Citizen Kane people, is the number one, right? People That's always like, talk about it as like it's film school, and it is. Every shot is is groundbreaking, and now has been aped, you know, a thousand times by a million different filmmakers. But uh, what gets overlooked too often is what a great story that is. Like that's a great story. It's not just like they made them film and it's impressive for that. No, it's engaging and funny and dangerous and interesting and like I yeah, just so love dangerous, it. so dangerous. It essentially got uh, you know got him blackballed. I mean that's yeah. how dangerous that was. He took on he took on you know Randolph Hearst and that didn't go so well. Um, it's 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 you know it's it's that movie's folklore. You know what I mean? It's like it's rare that you do something that is so significant that it gets you banned. <laughs> you know what I mean? And to think of the age that it was he directed it and starred in it and did all of that. It's gross. Is, yeah, most. <laughs> it's, it's be you know it's, it's it's you know the word genius gets thrown out too easy and too often. I think, but genius is not un unworthy of uh, you know. In that project. Absolutely. No, yeah, I'd watch Citizen Kane and just say, I've done nothing with my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you think you're, if you think you can maybe be a good director, watch that. And then if you know if you still decide you have a voice, go get them, man, because there's the bar. Yeah. Uh well, thanks for coming aboard uh the TMG interview. Um, this is again Queen Bees, I want to say, is out there now. Again, findable on all the VODs. Probably still in a few theaters. So go check that out. I know it came out a couple weeks ago. Got now, a but... couple more things I can plug real quick, if I may. Lay them on me. Again, you well, are uh, wicked uh, prolific. So lay it. I'm not surprised. So cool. So we got Queen Bees out now on theaters and VOD. We've got a movie coming out July 13th called River. That's a sci fi indie film um, that also Gravitas is putting out. Uh, Got another movie that I just found out came out on Prime Video that, that none of us knew, including the director. It's called Await the Dawn. It's a horror film. D. Wallace, Vernon Wells, fun fun ride. And another uh, drama horror film I did called The Bleeding Dark that I played the lead. The trailer just came out. I don't know when the release is, but check out the trailer. And then musically, I have a couple of things I want to talk about. I have a solo record I, I just started putting out singles on called Acoustic Gains. The second single, Cherish, just came out on Wednesday. So you can check that out on Spotify and iTunes and Deezer and all that. And then I also have a band called Ripple Street. And we just put out our, our, our third single of the year called Would You that I sort of describe in a Black Sabbath-esque type thing. So you got this mellow Ooh. acoustic thing and you got this like hard rock thing um, like to that. check out. So if you're interested in seeing something else I can do beyond acting, check it out. What do you got to lose? Yeah, I saw the guitars behind you, and I knew you had yeah. your feet dipped in that uh, the music pool. So that's cool, and it's kind of represented just there. You got electric and acoustic behind you, so it's both exactly, there right. absolutely right. Uh, and lastly, then any plugs for social? Where can people find you? You already talked about posting oh, yeah, something just, up there. Yeah, so. Find me on Facebook and Instagram under my name. You know, that's that's it. Simple. No other Courtney Gaines got in there and tried to. They might be, but you can figure out which one's me on Facebook. I'm the one <laughs> posting all the good stuff that's actually happening. <laughs> cool and as ever you can find everything we're up to uh including reviews articles and more interviews like this podcast appearances that uh, adam witt and myself have been on at themovieguys.net thanks courtney good to seeing you